3: Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973 667 1960. We're back live, folks. Paul and I were yesterday, Lance and I today. Tomorrow's Tino and Feagles. Then we do our three way chat on Friday as we get our second OTA media availability. The time on that Friday show is pending. It'll probably be a little bit later in the day, uh, probably around 1 or 2 o'clock, depending on how that goes. So, Stay tuned for that. Mr. Lance Meadow, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Doing okay. And with OTAs and, of course, minicamp coming away next week before we get that long lull here, Lance, I guess we should kind of talk about, you know, what things should we be keeping an eye out on when we head out to those OTA practices on Friday. And, you know, it's important to note that there's no contact in these sessions. There's no helmet. There's no pad. So that limits the stuff you can look at. Also, for OTAs, you have certain players that we've seen out there in the news that are not in attendance, so that takes some of that out of the mix as well. So I, I think what I would keep an eye on the most, Lance, as we take a look here, and this is number one on my list, is how they deploy all those edge players. I think that's interesting. You know, not just who the starters are, but do they use guys in different situations? How, you know, how do they use Coughlin and Cam Brown? Is O'Denable how much is he inside? How much is he outside? You know, how far along is Lorenzo Carter, who was out on the field last week? You know, I think all those things, and you have the rookie, Aziz Ojolari. I think that's just a really fascinating position to see how it all kind of works out. Because right now, we don't really have much of a feel for who the starters are based on everything we know. And there's just so many guys that you can make an argument for in that position group.
1: Well, that's a position they addressed heavily over the course of the offseason, whether it be in free agency and then of course in the draft. So I I think it's a bit intriguing because you really don't know who's going to get a bulk of the snaps and you have two guys, one of which you referred to that's coming back from injury. That's why when it really comes to OTAs, which are of course voluntary, and that's why full attendance is unlikely to be had during that period because everybody's not forced to show up. You really should pay attention to who is returning from injury and what they're able to do. Even if they're able to run out on the side, it's maybe a sign of progress that they're starting to get their legs out Under them And the offensive line, I would point out who maybe gets first team reps at this point, even though everybody may not be involved, just to get an idea of who they're utilizing in those spots or may who be getting work in areas where you normally didn't see them line up. I mean, those to me are the biggest takeaways with very little contact. There's very little you're going to get to know about the true identity of the team until training camp. And then, of course, the preseason. So, To me, it's more about the level of participation and, most important, guys who were banged up or missed a good portion of last season, where are they in their rehab process? I think that probably is the biggest indicator that you could take away from this time of the year. Yeah,
3: and I think player deployment, too, to a certain extent, where, you know, who are the first guys out there with the first team? I think that tells you a little bit something about what the coaching staff, you know, thinks about this, uh, thinks about these players and exactly you know, where they fit in. Now, that can obviously change as they get more playing time, but I think that does give you some instruction. And I think, you know, with the offensive line, I think that's interesting. You know, who's the first right tackle out there? Who's the first right guard out there? You know, while you can't really judge offensive line performance because there's no contact, and that's all offensive linemen do for performance is, is, you know, do contact with pads. So you can't really, I think, figure any of that out. But I think at least on the offensive line, that player deployment part of things is interesting as well.
1: Yeah, especially like I said, if they're going to put a player in a position where maybe you haven't seen them get a lot of work at, then it gives you an idea. Maybe they're experimenting with that player. As far as you know where they deploy players, I just think the other thing to keep in mind is if somebody who is expected to be a starter or somebody that's going to get heavy playing time is not At the OTAs, because they're working out on their own, then you're probably going to move somebody else up the depth chart into those spots. But that may not be exactly how the season plays out, because when the starters are there, they're going to get the bulk of the snaps. So I think we just got to be a little bit careful, especially if somebody in the front of the pack is not there, because that could change up. Or it could give the coaching staff an opportunity to just evaluate a player in a spot where... They may not plan to utilize them during the course of the regular season, but they said, hey, player A is not here right now, so let's use player B and C in that spot and see what they could do, and then maybe we could tap into that skill set at some point throughout the course of the season.
3: By the way, the phone lines are open at nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. 1960 Feel like giving us a call and chat, and this is a good time to do it, folks. In the offseason, we don't get nearly as many calls, or at least in this period in June and July. This is kind of our slow time, so if you want to come in, Give us a call, talk about a couple different topics, or get in-depth on something that maybe we don't normally have the time for. This is the time. So, again, we have an open line, 973-667-1960. You know, what positions, Lance, are you looking at that you think, you know, putting aside OTAs and minicamp for a second, and minicamp is mandatory for next week, so we should get a better feel next week, that, you know— Aside from, ones I mentioned, that you're really fascinated to take a look at to see how the Giants are either going to deploy their players, use their players, or what players look like coming back off their year last year.
1: Well, Edge Rusher, which we started off the conversation, is definitely one to focus on because of Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez returning from injury. Then you want to see if guys like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin have made jumps or perhaps they plan to utilize them a little bit more. Ellerson Smith, who they just drafted, where does he fit into this equation, and ifario Denebo. And I could give you a laundry list of other guys who also could very well be in the mix, such as uh, Ryan Anderson, for example, who's a veteran linebacker who could be deployed in a variety of different spots. So you take all of that into consideration. I think that's a position that's interesting to watch because, let's face it, somebody with proven talent is probably not going to make the roster or may have to settle for being on the practice squad or being elsewhere. So there's a lot of bodies, which means not everybody's going to have an opportunity to solidify a spot. I think that's one spot that you definitely have to focus on. I would say the other area would be the running back position because they have added a few different players behind Saquon Barkley. I don't really think Devontae Booker is battling for a roster spot, but I think after Devontae Booker, who's the third running back, Yeah. Does Gary Brightwell solidify himself as a running back as opposed to a special teamer? Corey Clement, Raquel Armstead are in the mix. So that to me would probably be the second position I would put on the list because I think there's jobs up for grabs. And then if you wanted me to go maybe a third direction, obviously you can mention the offensive line because there's starting jobs that are up for grabs, but... I'll think that I'll go with also the back end of the wide receiver depth. Yeah, chart because, I agree. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you've got Kenny Galladay, you've got Darius Slade and Sterling Shepard in the addition of Kadarius Toney. So that's four guys right there. But who's the fifth guy? Do they keep a sixth guy? Dante Pettis, CJ Board. They were both on the roster last year. Does Kelvin Benjamin make the roster as a tight end slash wide receiver? Austin
3: Mack, another guy from last year. Another guy, correct,
1: who's been an established player that's been on the practice squad and the regular roster. So I would say those are probably the three positions that I think are interesting to watch here.
3: And John Ross, too, right? So so John Ross is five, and he's the guy that has more experience than those others. But, of course, injuries are an issue with him, too. So, yeah, I agree. I think that's really fascinating and how important special teams are going to be because C.J. Board is a big special teams guy. So that's someone that can make his way with special teams. Dante Pettis as a returner. Can he make his way onto the roster that way? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Alex Bachman was somebody that was on the practice squad last year. He was active or at least brought up off the practice squad for a couple games late in the year. I'm not sure if he ever got a jersey or not. I'd have to check that. I don't think he did. But... You know, there are a lot of guys at that wide receiver spot. So what are they going to prioritize? Is it going to be, you know, if they keep only five, does that fifth guy have to be a special teams unit guy? And by that, I mean not just a returner, but like a gunner or a guy in kickoff or, or punt coverage or, you know, kickoff or punt return in some way. Um, or can it be another straight up wide receiver? You know, with John Ross would fall into that category that he can be a return man too. Or does Board, again, get the advantage because he plays coverage units and plays on coverage teams? Or a guy like Austin Mack, who certainly is the size to do that, didn't really do it as much last year. Then you have David Sills, who was here. So, you know, Pettis is a return guy I mentioned. So I think the criteria that they use to fill out that wide receiver spot, I think, frankly, Lance, that goes to the running back position too, right? How they fill out that last spot. If they prioritize special teams, or maybe they keep a fourth guy. And then the fourth guy is that special teams player in Brightwell. Or... Given Barkley's coming off an injury, do you try to bring in somebody else as a third running back that has more experience running the ball, in which case I think Corey Clement probably has more of an advantage, right, with Rykel Armstead kind of in the mix there too. So I think the you know that the priorities that they place at the back end of the skill position groups of who makes the roster will go a long way in determining which player actually does make the team and how many they keep at each one of those spots too.
1: Yeah, and that's why a guy like Brightwell is appealing because he contributed to all four special teams units in college. But it depends on what they think of him as a runner because clearly if they dress three running backs and they're easing Barkley along in the early stages of the season, the third running back actually could see some work at the running back position. So I think it's not a question about Brightwell, what he could do on special teams. To me, it's more of a question of his limited sample size in college as a starter, as a running back, what do you see in him? How does he pick up the blitz? How comfortable is he with the scheme? So that's the question surrounding him. Guys like Clement, who are probably the most polished veterans on the back end of the depth chart, it's what do you see him as a special teamer? And then here's the other part of the equation, a guy like Eli Penny, who I usually take out of the running back crew and I consider him a fullback, but you you could very well just throw him in with the running backs. Do you see his ability to carry the football? And therefore, if you kept three running backs, Would that be your insurance policy as somebody that could get a jersey, can block, but could also maybe get two to three carries a game? And maybe that helps balance out the workload. I wouldn't necessarily remove that from the equation. So it's really more about defining roles on the back end of the depth chart and the versatility, and that in all likelihood is going to determine how we round out this 53-man roster. Remember, this is a little bit different than maybe how we viewed the roster in past years, and I think that was a focus Overall, this offseason, the Giants weren't necessarily concerned about the starters. I think they were concerned about, hey, when starters got hurt last year, did we have enough to then step in and feel as if there wasn't a big disparity in terms of the level of play? And I think they made an effort this offseason to try to beef up the level of competition for the fifth wide receiver, for the fourth running back, for the fourth tight end if they choose to keep four. And those battles sometimes can be the determinant of whether or not you win or you lose an additional game over the course of the regular season.
3: All right, let's go to the calls. 973-667-1960. You guys want to talk about this. Anything else you want to talk about with the Giants or the NFL, the lines are open. I have a couple mailbag questions that got sent into our mailbag portal that we can get to. You can also send in your questions via Twitter to hashtag GiantsChat or directly to us. I am at Schmelk. S-C-H-M-E-E-L-K, or you can send it to Lance Meadow or both of us, and that's a uh, Meadow without an A, so L-A-N-C-E-M-E-D-O-W, all one word. Folks, just want to remind you to go get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov vaccine to register. And don't forget, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, presales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the phones. Lance, caller, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from?
2: Hey, it's Scott in New Mexico.
3: Scotty do what's up?
2: Oh, nothing much. Uh, I had a question for you. I don't know if it's too early to ask this question, but when you're looking at winning the division, and in regards to your conversation, do... The giants or any other team in the division take into account who the other personnel is on the specific teams and they'll carry for example say they're playing a team like washington which has a great front four will they carry more players at a certain position knowing that that could be you know a weakness for the giants if you know maybe more offensive linemen uh and and do they balance that out or is it too finite a question? In other words, you have to wait till you get much later in the season when you have preseason and so forth to make determinations as to personnel. Well,
3: I think you're going to keep your best player, Scott, um, when you go through this because if you keep a guy that's not good enough and then you basically, you know, you could find someone better on the scrap heap, there's no point in that just because a team in your division has right. a particular strength. But I do think you build your roster, but probably more so the top part of the roster because these are the guys that are starting and having most of your, you know, snaps with the strengths and weaknesses of the division in mind. So, you know, did the Giants go into this offseason say, boy, maybe we should go get a Dory Jackson because the Cowboys are rolling out CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Mari Cooper.
2: That's that's basically my question, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a thing. And you look at the Eagles, who have always had a good pass rush, and Washington, who now has a very good pass rush. Are they thinking, yeah, we better have a good offensive line because we're playing against these teams? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I, do honestly think that's a factor.
1: I think when it comes to roster decisions for who gets a jersey, I think that's what really you were getting into, Scott. So, for right. example if you're determining of the 53, who's going to get a jersey of the 46 and you're going up against a team that has a wealth of wide receivers, hey, maybe that game you carry an extra defensive back because you think you're going to need to rotate those guys over the course of the game. Or if you think that you're going up against a run-heavy team, maybe you're going to dress an additional defensive lineman because you think you're going to have packages that call for bigger guys up front. I think those decisions happen week to week over the course of the regular season. But I don't think that when they're finalizing their 53-man roster at the end of August, they're saying to themselves, we're going to play Washington in Week 7. We better make sure we have an extra defensive back. Well, in Week 6, you can make a tweak to your roster and adjust so that when you get to Week 7, you'll be ready to go.
2: Okay. Uh, My other question that I had, uh, and this probably is sort of a, a little bit of a nebulous question, but If you were looking at players on the Giants right now and you were looking at all the players that are available to them, who are the players that you're looking at, both offense and defense, that you think must have the kind of season in order for the Giants to make the playoffs? Well, Daniel
3: Jones is easy, Scott, but I I think you need someone other other than Daniel Jones, right? right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. But I'm thinking that it's still, I mentioned this probably two months ago, that the season, despite all the the players they got and and what's looking good on paper, it still boils down to whether they can run and pass. And that infers that uh, Saquon Barkley has to have a good year and Daniel Jones has to have a good year. As you're looking at the rest of the roster, I think those players have to be complemented. I didn't hear or I haven't heard, Uh, maybe I'm away, you know, I've been not calling in, but I was just curious where Saquon Barkley is in his uh, rehab, and do the Giants have enough confidence that he can go full stream uh, as the season begins? And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks.
3: Thank you, Scott. Uh, Lance, why don't you cover the Barkley thing, because I wasn't around for the OTA media last week. I'm not sure if anything was said about that with, with Saquon.
1: Yeah, he really wasn't brought up, mainly because Joe Judge was focusing on the guys that were out on the field and doing the bulk of the work, and Saquon did not speak to the media. So, I mean, anything I think at this point would just be based on reports and speculation and really what happens at training camp. I will say this. I think training camp is going to be the first indication of where Barkley is because even if you're evaluating what's happening on the field in OTAs, you're still not having contact. You're not having an immense amount of pads on. I think you want to see him with pads on and with a little contact before you gauge where exactly he is in terms of the rehab process. But just getting back to the framework of Scott's question, I would not say that Saquon Barkley and what type of season he has is going to ultimately determine the outlook for the Giants. And the reason I say that, John, is because Barkley has had really good seasons and it hasn't necessarily always equated to wins. So I think it's much more than Barkley. I guess I would go to other players and other positions to determine exactly where the Giants are going to go simply based on how many games Saquon Barkley plays and what exactly he brings to the table. Because once again, I thought the Giants ran the ball effectively in Barkley's absence last season. Now granted, if he was on the field, defense is going to have to change what they're doing. I'm not naive, but I don't think the run game suffered immensely without Barkley where you're expecting him to come back and get 1,600 yards or whatever it may be. And if he doesn't, the Giants all of a sudden are going to be in a precarious spot.
3: Yeah, I agree. And the success of the running back is almost not solely, but I think primarily dependent on the ability of the offensive line to do their job. You know, we saw how many games, even the starter last year, where we got out hurt lands, right? Like Barkley couldn't do anything because there were guys living in the backfield. So I think that's a part of it. I do think his explosive plays are going to be essential. If I was to pick one player on either side of the ball, that I think is essential for the giants to have a, a really successful year to take a jump. I think I would I might have to go with Andrew Thomas Lance, I'm not going to lie. I think they really need him to take that next step and play even better than he played the final six games of last year. Look, the final six games of last year he was much improved, but he still wasn't like a top offensive lineman in the league. I want to see him come out and be a legitimate like top 15 offensive, top 20 offensive tackle in the league this year. And I don't think that's too much to ask for a guy that was the fourth overall pick, right, in the second year. I I, I think that's a, you know, I'm not asking to be top five or top ten. You know, be a be a top 20, right right tackle slash left tackle. Be a top 25. You know, be above average. That's what I'm looking for here. And I think it's, that's very important to solidify the left side of that line because I do think on the right side we have some questions. It's going to be basically Matt Parrott's you know, first year, theoretically, playing significant snaps, or you're going to have Nate Solder playing out of position at right tackle. So I think it's very important that, you know, Thomas has that type of an impactful year. I was thinking about an edge rusher. I just can't put my finger on one because there's so many, so many of them. That I, I, It could be any one of four or five guys that could step up in that spot. So I'm going to go with Thomas. I think, you know, he's a guy that has to have a good season, particularly in pass protection, if the Giants want to take that next step.
1: Well, I think you're looking for consistency out of Andrew Thomas. That, to me, is the key. I mean, does he have to be the greatest thing that we've ever seen? No, but you want to know that you're getting a level of play out of him, game in and game out. I'm also going to add to that that he plays next to the same left guard consistently throughout the season, and we know he didn't do that last season. So I think that's another factor attached to Andrew Thomas. As far as the pass rusher goes, I would say – yeah, it's hard to maybe hone in on one. I would emphasize Lorenzo Cotter maybe more so than anybody else. That's I fair. think it's a critical year just for him as an individual from a contractual standpoint, okay? Forget X's and O's, considering he's injured last year and you were expecting that to be maybe the year that he shows progress. Okay, so that was postponed the season, and we know that he's entering a critical fourth year on his contract. So that's why I would probably maybe separate him from the rest of the pack, but I'll phrase it this way. Somebody has to emerge opposite Leonard Williams, who is a consistent force that will then, I think... Enter the Giants into the conversation of a contender for the NFC East title. There has to be somebody else. It can't be Leonard Williams and a group of complimentary pieces. I truly think they need at least one other guy, and you can pick whoever you want: Zimenez, Ojalari, Carter. Someone has to Infani. get to like
3: someone has to get to like eight
1: sacks, right? Is basically yeah. what you're telling. Somebody me. needs yeah. to get into that territory, absolutely. And also, that's contingent upon John that Leonard Williams is going to get back to double digits too. You know, remember, I think a lot of us are—I don't want to say assuming, but Maybe banking is the good term to utilize. All right, well, Leonard had his breakout campaign, so it's all up from this point on. And I don't doubt that he has the capabilities. But remember, that was the first time in his career that he ever got to that level. You've got to show it more than one year before you all of a sudden pencil no, a guy Lance, into that category.
3: You're absolutely right. And I look, I, I, I brought this up before. Since 2016, do you know how many defensive tackles in the NFL has had double-digit sacks for consecutive seasons? One. Well, Aaron Donald is probably going to be the guy at the top of the list. That—that's the only one. Yeah, only one. It's just very difficult. I mean, just look—we I mean, all know how good Fletcher Cox is, right? Go look at his sack totals. We all know how good Geno Atkins was in his prime. Go look at his sack totals. It's just hard for defensive tackles to consistently get double-digit sacks. So Leonard Williams, you know, in terms of pressures and quarterback hits and just overall play, could play just as well as he did last season and only have seven sacks or seven and a half sacks, right? Sure. That doesn't mean he plays worse. It just means that, you know, we talk about luck and the impact that has on sack totals a lot, and it, it just does. That, that's the way it goes, and sacks are, are difficult to repeat each year. So, yes, a 1,000%. You know, if Leonard Williams finishes with seven and then your next guy has four, Houston, we got a problem, right?
1: So I'm And with you. also that's four less than he had the previous season that you're hoping somebody can make up for if you want to get back to at least last season's totals.
3: Right, exactly. So I think the Giants will probably be free to blitz a little bit more since they can play more man-to-man with Dory Jackson manning that second cornerback spot. So I think that's a good thing. But yeah, I'm Blance. I'm, I'm with you 1,000%.
1: Here's the other thing, John. I, I just want to piggyback yeah, off please. of your point. Remember, we talked a lot about this with another defensive lineman on the roster. And I don't want to take away from the substance of production, but a guy that I think was brought up with respect to this topic was when you have one guy like a B.J. Hill who had three of his five-and-a-half sacks in one game, and then you wonder, okay, well, is the guy going to be able to piggyback off of what he did? Well, you have to take into consideration. Were the sacks spread out, or did he do a lot of the heavy lifting in a small period of time? Leonard Williams, I think there was something spread out last season, but in fairness, he did have five-and-a-half of his 11-and-a-half sacks, John, in two games. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you don't have that splash game, and he had one of those splash games in the final game of the season. He had three against the Dallas Cowboys. And by
3: the way, against the Cowboys team that was out without, what, four of their starting offensive linemen? Oh, at in that, that point, game? yeah, because yeah, Zach was Martin mess.
1: and everybody else yes. correct, was out. So, once again, you take that splash game away, and then he had two and a half against Seattle. Once again, you can argue he had nearly half of his sacks in two games last season. So just more food for thought. It's not putting doubt in the mind of Leonard Williams or not feeling as if he's going to play at a high level. It's just that it's important to not just look at a statistic. It's important to look at a statistic and how it was broken down because I remember people brought up, once again, with B.J. Hill, oh, he had maybe a breakout campaign. We're going to see it again. And then you say, well, wait a minute. He had three of his five-and-a-half sacks in one game. Are you sure that he's then going to get to seven or eight? Or was it just a matter of he capitalized on one big game and that – Maybe threw off the numbers a little bit.
3: Yeah, and I'll throw this out there too. Look, he had sacks in eight games last year. So that's half. That that's pretty good. That is. That's yeah. pretty good. But only three of his sacks came in games in which the Giants lost. And I think that's important too, because it's definitely more difficult for these defensive linemen to go out there and get sacks when the other team's playing from ahead for most of the game because they're not necessarily gonna be in those, you know, must pass modes. And by the way, one of those sacks came against Tampa, which the Giants were in that game, so they did not have a comfortable lead in that game. So, to me, it's important, too, for the offense to be better to get leads, which will make it easier on the pass rush to get after the quarterback. It's the reverse of the Giants. Remember last year with the Giants, lens. I know there's a call on the We'll get to you, I promise. I think this is a good conversation, though. Where last year, we saw their pass protection kind of fall apart in games where they dropped behind and they had to throw the ball. So the other team could just, you know, let loose and just go after the quarterback. Well, same deal with the Giants' pass rush, right? They could be much more effective in games where the other team is playing from behind because they have to throw. You can't run it as much. You can't run as much play action. You can't max protect because you're trying to come back. So I think in some ways that pass rush too and how you approach it and the amount you can pressure and, and all those different things in your scheme is going to be dependent on game flow and, and whether or not you can be as
1: aggressive as you want based
3: on game score.
1: Well, because sacks come with opportunity. So to your point, if the opposition has to throw the ball a lot in the second half and your team is playing from a position of being in the lead, yeah, I mean, that's going to give your guys an opportunity to get after the quarterback. If it's a highly contested game and there's more running involved, then yeah, the opportunity is not going to be there. It's very similar to the game of basketball. When you go up against a team that shoots Crazy from beyond the arc, the big men, John, are not going to have an opportunity to get blocks and maybe those deflections because nobody's taking the ball to the hole. Yeah. So remember, game flow and opportunity is important when we analyze players because that dictates opportunity. So it really comes down to, once again, are the Giants in a lot of affairs that are tight? And that are coming down to the wire then perhaps you're going to have some mix and matching of opportunities if you're playing from behind and the team is running the ball down your throat then, yeah, expect the pass rushers to not necessarily have great games because it just doesn't call upon them to get after the quarterback under those circumstances.
3: Right. Do you know offhand lands where the Giants ranked in the NFL in total sacks? Were they around like 13th or something like that? Is that where they landed? I will find that season? out for you
1: in one second. No problem. Thank bring you. The chart. But
3: the reason I'm bringing that up is that if you look at their sacks per pass attempt, right, which I think is kind of a good guide as to, you know, your true effectiveness as a pass rushing team, because it is related then to how many times the other opponent actually drops back on you. And the Giants actually ranked 12th in sacks per pass attempt, which is pretty strong. I think you'd be happy with that if I told you next year the Giants were 12th in sacks per pass attempt. And my guess is that's probably slightly better than their raw sack total, or is it about the same?
1: Well, no, it was about the same. They actually finished tied for 12th with 40 sacks. There you go.
3: (laughs) So identical. Perfect. So, just something to keep in mind here going forward. Hey, Giant fans, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
4: It's Bash from Ohio.
3: Bash, what's up, man?
4: How are we doing? I wanted a quick question about what y'all was just talking about. Did I go into what I called about? Sure. Um, Leonard Williams, just said with the uh, DT as far as a defensive tackle, as far as the I thought he was a defensive end, so is he defensive end or defensive tackle as far as Leonard Williams?
3: Well, he's a 3-4 defensive end, which is the equivalent in terms of where you line up as a defensive tackle in a 3-4. That's why the whole nomenclature bash has changed a little bit, right? That's why now we talk about edge players and interior defensive linemen. So edge players are 4-3 defensive ends or 3-4 outside linebackers. Those are edge players. Then interior offensive linemen, which is the category i put Leonard Williams And though you will see him sometimes line up as a 4-3 D end in passing situations. I consider him an interior defensive lineman. Those are your three-down linemen in a 3-4, so both defensive ends and your nose tackle, which is Leonard Williams, one of those defensive ends is his primary spot. And then if you have a four-man front, it would be your nose tackle or your three-technique, which lines up between the guard and the tackle. Those would be your two interior defensive linemen in a four-man front. And again, in a four-man front, Leonard Williams more often than not is going to line up in that three-technique spot, which I would consider an inside player. For example, like... um. Pittsburgh, um, oh, geez, not st- they, have, they have Stephon it, and then they have Cam Hayward. Those guys are technically defensive ends, but they're not, you know, Von Miller. They're not Joey Bosa. Since the Steelers play a 3-4, they're really interior defensive linemen as 3-4 defensive ends. You know what I mean?
4: Got you. Okay. Yeah, yep. I just heard y'all say DT, and I was kind of confused with that. Yeah, no, okay. no worries. I, no, I
1: hear you. I hear you. Yeah, he's more of an in-between yeah, I was- guy, I think is probably the best way to look at it.
4: Okay, yeah, you know, I was calling about and Lance. You might not like this. It's something that Charlie called about yesterday, and Paul got real upset about talking about Daniel Jones. And I wanted to take back or touch on that a little bit as far as Daniel Jones is a great quarterback. Well, I went to comparison as far as somebody came out a couple of years before, a year before him, as far as the Josh Allen, as far as not having a good first two years, then he got Steph Diggs last year and had a breakout third year. So. As far as Daniel Jones and getting Kenny G this year and having a breakout during this far as comparison, I wanted to get y'all to take as far as Josh Allen and Daniel Jones as far as coming out of college, coming out of Duke and Wyoming, and as far as the comparisons or differences as far as those two players, is there a possibility as far as Daniels having a breakout like Josh Daniel's did last year?
3: Well, Bash, uh, I think that's the goal, right? I think that's what you're looking for and you know, Lance and I had this conversation. It was probably before the draft, Lance, right? With the caller, how we talked about how Josh Allen took that monster jump from year two to year three. And I think that's what you're looking for. I mean, if you want to compare the players, I think, you know, Josh Allen, when you go back, he came out a very raw player. I think he was a much more raw player than Daniel Jones was. But he also has, you know, some of the freakish, uh, freakiest, rather, you know, athletic talent of any quarterback in the league. Like, he can do things with his arm strength and running around in the backfield and avoiding the rush that probably Jones wouldn't be capable of because of just his god-given talent but I think Jones is probably, you know, probably more fundamental and proficient actually playing the position in his early career than Allen was. So, I think maybe that might mitigate the the size of the jump that Jones could take because he doesn't have the same like ridiculous physical gifts that Allen has. But for Lance, this is the goal here. I mean, this is Jones's third year. He's finally in the same system for a consecutive season. You have all these weapons around them, much like Jones got, you know, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley. Now Daniel Jones got Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay. This is the year, and this is the point Paul was making yesterday to, to, to Charlie, that, yeah, it is time for Daniel Jones to take that next step. Paul's anger with Charlie was that he was trying to write him off before the season even started, but this is when you need to see that third-year jump from Jones Because of all the things that are going on around him, which, Lance, we always talk about, is a huge impact on how the quarterback plays the position.
1: Yeah, the environment shapes the quarterback. I think, though, to me, there are differences that are a little bit more noticeable with Allen and Daniel Jones. Because I would argue, I thought Allen had a solid year two in the league. And the Bills did make the playoffs, remember. And then he then piggybacked off of that into 2020 with the addition of talent. I also thought the Bills straightened out their offensive line entering year two for Josh Allen. Yep. So that was another big difference. And then the other thing is Josh Allen, I think, did a better job protecting the football compared to Daniel Jones over his first two seasons. So there are slight differences in terms of personnel and the evolution of the Bills versus the Giants. But I don't think it's crazy to say that this is absolutely a critical year for Daniel Jones. And it's not a stretch. to to say, okay, the Giants went out and surrounded him with better talent than he had the previous year, which is certainly what the Bills did. I just think that the Bills made a jump for year one to year two for Josh Allen as opposed to simply waiting till we got to year three. There was enough improvement I saw out of Allen from one to two where I didn't think two to three was an enormous jump. So that, I think, is a little bit of a difference if you compare him to Daniel Jones here. Okay, now one more
4: question, and I'll take it offline. As far as going back, I know they used to say as far as drafts, you can't go, to, uh, go draft until four years into the league. As far as the 2018 draft, which I think Dave and Mary both said as far as what the, Chops, the Air Force in 2018. But I was saying, and it's just playing with it as far as it goes about it, and i take it offline as far as getting Josh Allen in that second round that first pick instead of Barkley and probably getting Chubb in the second round and having Josh and, and Chubb compared to, Barkley and Jones, as far as those two players, as far as having an Allen and Chubb combo compared to a Jones and Barkley combo, and probably if we did that getting a Josh Allen and uh another Josh Allen in the 2019 draft with the defensive end that the Jaguars got with Josh Allen, and we probably got Allen and Chubb in 2018 and got Josh Allen. Uh, the defenses and Josh Allen in 2019. And we get your thoughts on that, and I'll
3: take it offline. I appreciate the call. Well, you well, you couldn't have gotten quarterback Josh Allen and Bradley Chubb in 2018. You only got one or the other.
1: Because one I one he was picked... referring to Nick Chubb. Wasn't he referring to Nick Chubb? Oh, no? is that who he was talking I about? I thought he was referring to Nick Chubb. Oh, maybe he I was. I could be wrong. No, you but... could be right. That's who I thought, because I think he was saying you take the running back then a little bit later on in the draft. Well, that's I, mean, what I think, and I think
3: you can also take a look at, well, does it make more sense to, to go pick Quentin Nelson in the first round instead of Barkley, and then you pick Chubb instead of Will Hernandez in the second round, right? I think that's another way you could flop it if you want to flop it that way. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're necessarily, you know, you know killing anybody if we say if you know if if the Giants had Josh Allen would they be very happy with Josh Allen the quarterback yeah absolutely I don't think I mean I don't think that's taking a shot at Saquon I don't think that's taking a shot at Daniel Jones Josh Allen's really good but it's really hard and I think you can look back at nearly any draft decision any team has made in the past and say well why didn't you pick this guy why didn't you pick that guy and I, I don't think that's a fair way to to, to look at things. Remember, I mean, Nick Chubb had a really serious leg injury in college. He had a torn ACL and he had something else too, if I remember right. So there were some risks there with him. And if you look at that draft class, you know we talked about how deep that running back class was. Lance Sony Michelle has had knee issues. He's had trouble staying healthy. Uh, Ronald Jones has not been able to secure a starting job in Tampa Bay. He's been kind of in and out of there. Carryon Johnson just got released by the Lions. The running Darius Geis is not in the NFL anymore. So, in a year where we thought the running back class was like very, very deep, as it turns out, Royce Freeman to the Broncos, just go down the list, Rashad Penny to the Seahawks. That running back class has just not worked out very well in 2018, to be quite honest with you, except for Nick Chubb.
1: Well, you don't have a crystal ball. You just never know how injuries and off-the-field issues, which is pretty much the best way to describe that group. The other thing with Nick Chubb is the Giants, remember, had the pick exactly in front of the Cleveland Browns in the second round that year, and they took Will Hernandez. So even if you want to go down the hypothetical road and switch up all those players that the caller reference, who's to say that the Giants are then not going to take Will Hernandez? Because you still need to prioritize the offensive line. So I guess what I'm getting at is I don't know if they're going to necessarily leapfrog Nick Chubb over Will Hernandez in that circumstance if you went quarterback in 2018 instead of Saquon Barkley the other thing is maybe they take Sam Darnold instead of Josh Allen how do you know they're going to take Josh Allen remember Allen was the third quarterback taken that year he was not the second the other thing is just going back to environment and this is why I don't really enjoy these hypotheticals the if we're talking about who you have around the quarterback the coaching staff and all those things help influence the development of the quarterback, you can't just then, John, pluck a player off of one team, put him on another team, and tell me he's going to perform at the same level. You just can't do that. You know why? Because Giants fans love to have the debate, as I'm sure you're aware of, where they talk about if the Giants had Phillip Rivers— and Eli Manning actually played for the Chargers. And many people like to argue, well, you know, they wouldn't have had the two Super bowls. I don't know. Who knows what would have happened with Philip Rivers? He was in the giant scenario. Yeah, you're right. As opposed to Eli Manning. You just, you don't know what the coaching staff would have done. You don't know if they would have changed up their scheme because of Eli Manning's strengths versus Philip Rivers' strengths. So it's not so simple in football where you take one player out of Buffalo, you put him in New York, and you tell me that everything's going to be identical. That's why it's a very difficult conversation to have.
3: Yeah, it really is. I think you hit it on the head. I think you're 100% right. And, guys, I'm telling you, you can go back. I mean, you can go back and say to the Browns, oh, well, would, would they, should they have picked Josh Allen instead of Baker Mayfield? You know, there are there are a million different conversations you can have here. And then everything changes from there on out. And I don't, I think, Giant fans, you're putting yourself through unnecessary pain and suffering by operating that way. The team, they are where they are right now. And to go back four draft classes and try to figure out what they could have done differently I just think it doesn't serve much of a purpose.
1: Well, and I think part of the frustration, and once again, I don't want to revisit this because I know it comes up a lot, but since we're talking about it, I just want to get into it because I think it's related. Saquon Barkley, I think part of the frustration, maybe why some fans, John, like to go back in time is because, unfortunately, Barkley's been banged up. And when a player misses time, I think the natural reaction is, What could have happened if you had another player who didn't get hurt and played all 16 games? And what would have that meant for the team? I get that. But Saquon Barkley, if you just look at him from a talent perspective, he is not a running back. He's an offensive weapon. So if you're talking about Christian McCaffrey, you're talking to us about Saquon Barkley, I don't have an issue with any team taking that type of a player relatively high in the draft if you're going to tap into them as a running back at a wide receiver. If you're taking just a pure runner early in the draft, that to me is a different conversation. They don't have much skill set as a receiver. They're not that breakaway type of talent where they're going to have explosive plays. Barkley brings that to the table. The problem with Barkley is unfortunately the injury bug has limited his impact because he hasn't stayed on the field. It's very similar to Odell Beckham Odell Beckham tremendous talent unfortunately injuries also kept him off the field and that's why a lot of people like to play the coulda woulda shoulda game but it's easy to do that John my point is three or four years after you see what happens with the player when the team is making the decision number two overall in 2018 do you think if they had a crystal ball that said Saquon is going to tear his ACL at this time and he's going to miss a boatload of games don't you think that a team if they knew that maybe they'd reconsider their draft pick nobody knows that going in so it's impossible to once again put this pick on trial if you have no idea what's going to happen three or four years down the road
3: now in fairness i do think there's a little bit of a stronger injury risk at certain positions like running back where guys are. Well, because do of the nature of the hits and the
1: volume of hit, sure. Right.
3: Yeah. So I think that's in the consideration. But guys, I, I just I just look I understand why you do it. Trust me, I get it. We all do the same thing with, you know, teams that we root for. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But I don't think we'll be able to give you a satisfactory answer because to Lance's point, you have all these interconnected things here with these teams, and you just don't know what the end result is going to be once you you know, it's um uh Kind of like the butterfly effect, right? For people that know that, where you go back in time, if you step on a butterfly 50 years ago, what could that possibly do to the future? You change one little thing, and then a million things change after that. It's the same deal. If you make a big change like that, no one has any idea how that's going to impact the Giants moving into the future. 973-667-1960. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
0: Hey, guys. This is Dan from Pennsylvania. Dan, what's up? Thanks for taking the call. Thanks. Hey, I was was calling because I did want to actually touch on that because the way the... uh, the show ended last night. um in yesterday's program about uh, <laughs> Charlie really getting, <laughs> really getting Pete out upset. Oh yeah, yeah. By the way, once I want
3: to explain to Lance what happened. So Charlie called up Lance, and he kind of was taking shots at Daniel Jones, and Datino like lost it on him, and he basically, he basically said, "I know I sound like Lance now, but Charlie, I don't want to hear from you anymore." And he was basically killing him. You, Lance, you would have loved every second of it. Let me tell you.
1: Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Listen, he calls in for that very reason. He got the reaction out of Paul that I'm sure he's smiling about. And you fall for the bait, that's what happens. So he he won in that category because he got exactly what he wanted out of that conversation, I'm sure, if you asked him.
0: Yeah, and it is the same topic. I, I get it because, you know, Daniel Jones is our quarterback. So you can would have, could have, and you can go back in the draft. And I think the point you guys just hit on, touched on, is something I have with my friends all the time when we have these discussions is yeah, at the, at the time of the draft, and we can go to this year. at the time of the draft, right now, there's glowing reviews for the Giants. Hey, we, we, we went back, we got a pass rush in the second round that was great. Like, we did all these things that everyone's saying is great. Four years down the road, three years down the road. I mean, it's up to the player, of course. It's up to injuries. It's up to so many things. Luck. But that was a bad pick. Yeah, luck. And then all of a sudden, that's a bad pick. But was it a bad pick? At the time... Was it a good pick? It may not have panned out. Maybe the player didn't panned out. Maybe the player robbed someone at his ice game, shot himself in the leg. You don't know how it's going to pan out. So it was a good pick. It may not have just panned out. And sometimes that's the possibility. But I think it's always sure. good or bad. And that sometimes I don't, I don't agree with the good or bad. If, if at, the end of the, at the end of the day, at the end of the draft weekend, everyone's kind of like content or we feel like we did good and the team feels like they did good. Then that's the best player. I'll give you another example. Will Hernandez. I'm arguing with my friends that Will Hernandez—he couldn't make it. I said, "Did he go back? Will Hernandez was highly graded. <laughs> he was a, a great prospect, and we got him in the second round." Yeah, I think so the important thing was, is the
3: right. It, it's to look at the process behind the picks, right? You know, individual players can bust or excel, but I think the important thing is if you see the process working out correctly and the right, you know, tr- you know, train of thought and philosophy behind the selections and the rationale. Thank you. Exactly. If you have that right, I think you're going to have more hits than misses, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have misses because players are players and things happen.
0: Right. Yep. And that goes to my Daniel Jones is where I wanted to go back to. Um, So, you know, I guess because, because of the way Daniel Jones was drafted, I think a lot of people thought that was the wrong pick. And I think that's why we still have this debate. In fact, I credit him for even answering these questions every single time. they interview him, it seems like, um, and we kind of had that with Eli. I think uh, uh, Paulie was was bringing up um, Phil Simms, but the current fans, you know, they may not be Phil Simms. They may not have been Giants fans back in that era. So, Eli, Eli's first few years was not glowing reviews. I mean, <laughs> you know, oh, no, it, you was up, it was bad. No, no, it but, wasn't.
3: It wasn't not just glowing reviews. There were some bad <laughs> moments. I mean, if you, I always go back to this game. And people that weren't alive probably were too young to remember this. It was oh god, week eleven or twelve of the twenty-seven of the of the two thousand seven season. The Giants play the Minnesota Vikings and Eli oh, yeah. Manning plays as three picks, four he, picks.
0: He, he
3: plays as bad of a football game as a quarterback can play. Darren Sharper is basically yep. just a bully. He's picking them off, he's killing the team, and the headlines on Monday and Tuesday in the New York Post and New York Daily News is that Eli Manning needs to be benched. And they need to move on from Eli Manning. Literally, two months before the Giants win a Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> it's true. It, it's true. And, and, and in the media feeds into of course, fans watch that. But that was a bad game. So it was all acknowledged that. And really, other than maybe a few seasons here, from – the Giants fan, he has a place in our heart because he brought us the trophy. But the me, you know, for the worldwide fans and just in general, he was, you know, and that, that's when the whole Eli's elite topic came up because he was never really graded high. He was never really statistically uh, uh, one of those one of those quarterbacks. But he was perfect for us, you know. He he was perfect for the New York media and the New York market. Could you imagine Philip Rivers having to to deal with those headlines because he was more vocal? Um, could you imagine, and that's why I think about Daniel Jones. I think when they told Daniel Jones, I think that was part of it. It's the New York market. It's the New York media. It's a rebuilding team. They're going to be judged for everything he does. And I think his temperament and his, the way he answers the questions and the way he's not giving into any bait really I think was perfect for New York. Now, again, we, he's on a team. I'm rooting for him. But I think that was a big part of it that I think people don't understand. Haskins could not have cut it in New York the way he ended in, in Washington. It had to be the right guy. And I think we waited for the right guy. And, 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 and I'm not in the room, but it seems like from Joe Judge and from everyone else that, and, and, and then I think you brought in someone Monday, uh, I believe, uh, um, that he's, his work ethic, he looks to improve. The teammates seem to respect him. So to me, for Eli, it was Eli is elite. That's the question he had the answer, which is, you know, bogus. But that's that was – and then now it was, is Daniel Jones a franchise quarterback? And I always say he's a franchise. He's on the team. I don't think this is a necessarily make or break year because he's going to be here next year. He's on a rookie deal. We're going to have him for five years. So I think well, – we Remember, not progress. necessarily.
3: You're going to have him for four years. It's the team's option whether or not they want him for five. Remember that.
0: I know, but I think the, the if he continues with even if it's just incremental, and he's not Patrick Mahomes, and he's not you know, he, I think he'll be here for five years. So odds are, yes, years, I
3: agree with you. Yes, yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. He's on a he's a quarterback on a rookie deal when rookies make when quarterbacks make thirty to forty million dollars. He's probably going to hang around for five. So root for him, and I think that was the point that Paul was trying to say: be patient, root for the guy, and there's no reason to bash the guy. He, he does well. He answers the questions well. Teammates respect perspective And I did see if you watch the games, like if you watch the um, you know, some of the you know wins, the losses, and that's the way that um some of the sports casters you know define success. But if you actually watch the season, as we all talked about with the offensive line and how they improved, and until he got injured, we were watching a nice growth for Dan, for Daniel Jones. So I guess my point is is Eli had to answer is, are you an elite? Even when he won the Super Bowl, it was fluky, according to everyone else, and he wasn't elite. Uh, Daniel has to answer that question, but it takes time. And, and again, the point, <laughs> the point is true. There's no reason to keep bringing the would-have, could-have, should-have. He's on the team. Yep. Root for the guy <laughs> and stop trying to tear him down. And I guess that was my – I agree with Paulie and, and what everyone else said. He's on the team, root for him, and there's nothing that he's done so far other than the fumbles, which he did improve on, that makes me say, I don't like, I, I, I want another guy. I, I like Daniel Jones.
3: No, look, absolutely. Daniel Jones is the quarterback this year, guys. I mean, that's why saying, oh, the Giants need to make a change. Daniel Jones isn't the guy. If you want to call up and scream that at us, you can. You know what we're just going to do? Shrug our shoulders and say, well, we'll see how he plays this year. Because, Lance, there's really no other answer besides that right now. That, I mean, that's where we are.
1: They're committed to Daniel Jones. They made that crystal clear, and based on the makeup of the roster, you know Mike Glennon is not a threat to take Daniel Jones' job, so you got to go based on the facts and the reality of the circumstance. They're doing everything in their power to give Daniel Jones an environment to thrive. Now it's up to him and the team's execution to take advantage of that. It's as simple as that. That's the storyline to monitor this season. You Speculating over them wanting to trade for another quarterback or bringing in somebody else is just a pipe dream. Let's leave it at that. Daniel Jones is the quarterback. As far as what happens beyond this season, that's also speculative. Right now, we're dealing with 2021, and the goal is to see what Daniel Jones can do with the same offensive scheme, which he hasn't had in quite some time. Hopefully, guys who are returning from injury help bolster the roster, and then the additions. And now it's on the shoulders of the quarterback – To take advantage. Now, part of that is his decision-making. Part of that is ball security. But, I mean, the last thing that the last caller threw out in terms of rooting for him, listen, whether a fan roots for him or not, it's still in the hands of Daniel Jones, okay? I understand some of us love the different types of higher powers that you want to turn to or the... Philosoph- philosophies that may influence games. At the end of the day, there is no such thing, okay? This is in the hands of Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to determine the outlook of the team and the outlook of his own future. It's not going to come down to anybody else, their rooting interests. Let's just at least have some perspective here with respect to that.
3: 100%. Couldn't say it better myself. All right, you have a couple Twitter questions here um, on hashtag Giants Chat. This one from Mr. B at rock underscore Giants. I'm going to buy a defensive player jersey, from the New York Giants, who do you recommend? I'm thinking Williams or Peppers, though I'm not sure how will, how long Williams will be with the team. Well, given Williams just signed a, yeah, a, a long-term contract <laughs> extension, I think that's probably the way to go. Um, if you want to take a rookie like Aziz Ojolari, you know he's going to be here for four years on a four-year rookie deal, but he's a rookie. You know you don't know what he's going to do, yet. and by the way, you don't know if that what his number is going to be yet. Once we get to the regular season. Yeah, I think Leonard Williams is a, is, is a good way to go. Um, I'm trying to think. A good combination, Lance, of long-term contract plus production. The problem is that Bradbury and Martinez just have two years left on their deals. So I think there is a level of risk there. You haven't seen Adoree Jackson take a snap yet. Peppers is heading into the last year of his rookie deal, his fifth-year option. So I think defensively, if, if I was to say I had to go buy a Giants player on defense, a jersey, I think Leonard Williams is the easy choice.
1: Yeah, I think you have the combination of security and some star power if you want to go there. The other guy that I would throw out, but once again, you really haven't seen much, is McKinney. Yep. Because McKinney, you know, at least is on a lengthy rookie contract. Granted, he wasn't a first-round pick, so there's no fifth-year option, but you at least know there's a very good chance he's going to be here for the next three seasons. So McKinney, I would enter in that conversation, probably with Ojolari right behind Leonard Williams.
3: Yeah, I mean, Dexter Lawrence, he's heading into his third year? Lawrence?
1: Yeah, he was a 2019 pick. Yes. So So
3: he has three years left probably, depending if they pick up that fifth-year option. He's another guy you could consider. You know, Lorenzo Carter's in the final year of his contract. Logan Ryan's got three years left, but he's a veteran.
1: Well, whenever you're talking about a veteran who's been in the league for some time... You just, you never know with respect to salary cap decisions. Yeah, I think there's much more risk involved in a veteran I mean, than there is a younger I guy. I mean,
3: I think, it, I, honestly, if I would recommend going offense, to be honest with you. Like, you want to get excited? Go get a you know go get a Kenny Galladay jersey. He's going to be here a while. All right? Kenny Galladay is going to be on this roster if you want to get a new player. Um, otherwise, I'm trying to think, guys with long-term contracts. Andrew Thomas, if you want to go offensive line, I think that would be an interesting way to go if you wanted to do that. Um, You got a Kadarius Tony jersey. Yeah, obviously Tony. That's a good one, too. Uh, Slayton has two years left on his rookie deal. That could be a way you want to go. Uh, Sterling Shepard is just a year into his extension, but again, he's a veteran. He's had some injury issues. You know, Ingram is on the last year of his deal. Saquon's been hurt. You know, Daniel Jones is an obvious one. You know, to, You know, we just talked about how they're committed to him, so I guess that's a way you could go. But yeah, I mean, I think Leonard Williams on on, on defense, Kenny Galladay on offense. If you want to try to get a new player, who I think, if he's healthy, we know is going to be pretty productive. So, that's how, what... about
1: oh, yeah, how about a Graham Gano jersey? Oh yeah, special teams. That?
3: Great point. I think Graham Gano is an excellent choice. Nick Gates, he signed that you know mini extension yeah. too. You can go there if you want, little Nick Gates. Um, all right, this one from Average Beast at Mr. Chris 172. Which players do you think Dave Gentleman could either move on from or acquire after the June first date? And of course, folks that don't know why that June first date is significant is because after June first, any moves you make, the salary cap hit is on two seasons instead of one. So if you cut a guy with, let's say, eight million dollars of dead money which is guaranteed money left on his contract. Uh, $4 million goes to this year, $4 million goes to next year. It's a way to massage the salary cap. It's not as significant of a date as it used to be, however, Lance, because you can now designate somebody a June 1st cut back in April. So it's not like there's a bunch of guys that are hitting free agency on June 1st because they already did, and they were simply designated a June 1st cut. So this day isn't necessarily as important as it used to be.
1: Yeah, because there's basically some teasers to your point where you have an idea what a team's going to do. They just can't make it official until now. Julio Jones, for example, his name's been thrown around around June 1st because in the event that he's traded, the Falcons' dead money can also be spread across multiple years on the salary cap. That's why there would be maybe more appeal to move him after June 1st. As far as the Giants are concerned... Once again, I think they did a lot of their heavy lifting already, John. So I would not expect a major move because when it was phrased, who could they go after? Well, I'd have to know then who becomes available. So it's hard to at least pinpoint that. But as far as guys currently on the roster – I think they feel good about the nucleus of their group right now, and I'd be very surprised if they, out of the blue, cut ties with somebody. Especially when the whole purpose of this offseason was competition, 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 and I think they have that at several positions across the board.
3: No question about it. I got two other funny ones on Twitter. We can get to these. I'm going back to last week. Hopefully, you guys didn't get to these lands. So I'm going. Well,
1: I actually did a number of the mailbag questions that were sent in on giants.com. So I think we should be okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, I'm a. Did I send you
3: mailbag questions? I no, I actually
1: piggybacked off of some of the ones that you posted online. Oh, perfect, awesome, good. I uh, had some fun, but we're talking about we had going back over the span of four to five weeks, so oh, we that's didn't just perfect. do all the new ones. No, that's yeah. great. I like it.
3: All right, cool. Yeah. Um, at Jeffrey Roth, 1994, with Dalvin Tomlinson gone, how do you think the Giants' defensive line will look on passing downs? I think that's an interesting question. So my guess Lance, is that we're going to see, uh. Dexter Lawrence lined up kinda on that, you know, one technique, you know, or zero technique over the nose or over the center, or in between the center and the guard or over the guard. And then we're gonna see Leonard Williams in that three technique between the guard and the tackle. Those will be your two interior defensive linemen with your four man front and sub packages when you have usually it's a four two five, or in the Giants case with the safety, sometimes a four one six depending on how you want to treat bro Peppers. And then I think if you look at the edge players on passing downs, my guess is it's going to be Lorenzo Carter and Ogilari. That would be my wager, and that's how I think it's going to look. But I think you can make an argument for other edge players. How do you think the Giants will set up their defensive line on passing downs?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think if you put those four guys on, I think you're getting the most versatility— And the biggest rush. I wouldn't rule out Odenebo because remember, John, this is a guy that could play inside and outside. So maybe there are some circumstances where. Patrick Graham wants to put him on the field, and he wants to put him on the interior because he think he could get some push out of him. So that would be maybe the one other guy that I think you should look out for that could be in some combination up front. And Zimenez too, is another guy. Though Zimenez would be more on the outside than the inside under those circumstances yep. if they went in that direction.
3: All right, final one. I wish Paul was here for this because I know he's going to have a different answer. At easy, BKNY, this went back from May 26th, I'm curious to know how many Giant fans would date or marry someone who was a fan of our division rivals. Would that be an instant deal breaker for you, or it doesn't matter? I will say this: if you're <laughs> if you're molding your personal life and who you date or marry based on what football team they root for, I think you need to reestablish you need your priorities a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Now, and I will now I will play my Paul DeTino role and go. You know, John. I think that if you have an Eagles fan, it says a lot about who they are as a person. So,
1: no, of course not. I would never do that. That,
3: That's my (laughs) point. Well, that's what I was going to say. Paul's (laughs) answer
1: would be very different. So, I didn't know where you were going with it, but now that you phrased the question, now I completely understand why you prefaced it that way. Yeah, he probably would find a way to tie in the personality of the individual and whether or not they have good character based on who they root for. As far as my personal opinion is concerned, at the end of the day, it's sports entertainment. So you can put the jersey on while you're watching the game on television go to the game, then you peel the jersey off and you go on with your life, and it's simple as that.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Lance, good stuff, my friend.
1: Absolutely. All
3: right, tomorrow we'll have Jeff Figos and Paul DeTino. I believe we're going to have a former Giant... That won a couple of Super Bowls on with them to start off tomorrow's show. Because last week we didn't do much on the defensive side of the ball at the alumni, so Jeff Eagles reached back and got one of his former teammates from Super Bowl 42 and also Super Bowl 46, a guy that you can make the argument could have been in the running for MVP of those games. And I think that. Kind of gives a big clue for those of you that are young enough to remember those games. Lance and I probably Lance probably knows who I'm talking about now because oh, we've yeah. had this debate on Cover Three and Factor Fiction many times. But stay tuned; you might have that at the top of the show tomorrow at noon on the Giants mobile app. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmoke. Again, Friday show, folks. In case you missed the beginning of the show, it's probably not going to be at noon. The official time schedule has not been released yet for when exactly the OTA practice and availability is going to be. We want to put the show after all that is completed, or at least close to it, um, so the show might get backed up a little bit. Stay tuned to my Twitter feed. Uh, Lance and I will get that out there when we know exactly when that show is going to be. For Lance Metal, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us on another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you next time, everybody.